If you are visiting today, uh, welcome, bienvenidos. My name is Carlos Azueta. I'm the teaching pastor of this campus. And we are so excited because, believe it or not, in the last few weeks, months, it is hard to believe that we're coming to an end of a, of a series in the letter of James, in the book of James. We have been studying James, and I don't know about you, but this letter, it has been a blessing to me. It has been a blessing, and it has been a challenge to me. I told you the last time that we met that it has been really, really a difficult time because I believe that the Lord is smacking me outside the head every time that I try to prepare, thinking what I'm going to say to you from the Lord, but almost all the time is what the Lord has to say to me about myself. So I'm, I'm telling you with all my heart, it has been a blessing and it has been a challenge. When we started this series, James spoke about the situations that many believers at that time were facing. Many struggles, many, many trials that they were facing because of the persecution in the Roman world at the time. And he encouraged them to have joy when they faced those, those testing times, even in those challenging times. James also spoke about temptation. To believers, he told them, you are going to be tempted. But none of you can blame God for those temptations. You must overcome them because you need to deal with everything that is in your heart. James also reminded them about the good, the good intentions are not enough. They might be followed by good actions, good deeds. So the faith has to be demonstrated by the actions that, as believers, we do. But James also warned these Christians in chapter 2, showing that partiality is a sin. Discrimination is a sin. Being um, respecters of people is not something that pleases the Lord. Then we learn in chapter 3 about the power of a word, the power of the tongue. How powerful it is because the words that we communicate can help us to build or destroy somebody else. But it's not necessarily about the words. It's the value that we provide to those words that we hear, the ones that cause the effect. Because we need to remember that at the end of the day, we react in our attitude to those things is what matters. Then in chapter 4, James condemned those arrogant and oppressive, influential people for taking advantage of those who are less fortunate and encouraged those who are suffering under their hands to be patient, that the Lord in his time and his way will help them and will vindicate them. And in today's passage, the last portion of James in chapter 5, we're going to be expanding on, on this theme about patience, but instead of patiently waiting with endurance for the return of the Lord, we need to be doing something, and that something is praying. So we're going to be talking about prayer. Let me, let me ask you a question, and be, be, be honest. Be honest with yourself. Have you ever wondered if God really, really cares to answer your prayers? It, it, it happened that at some point you might feel, ah, my situation, my, my prayers are so small, and God is so busy taking care of the whole universe. I mean, he's not going to care about my little prayer that, you know, it hurts my little toe or my left foot. And I'm asking for him to relieve it. I mean, he doesn't care of those things. Well, at times, we might feel that way. We don't pray because we think that the Lord is so busy that my prayer is not as much as important as other things that are happening in the world. But let me tell you something. God cares. 
Because all prayers are a small thing when we pray to a big God that we have. A woman, a woman was feeling that way when he approached the old English preacher, G. Campbell Morgan. And she asked him exactly the same questions. Pastor Morgan, she said, should I bother God with my small requests? To which Morgan replied, sweet lady, all requests are small to God. What a powerful truth, don't you think? Indeed, Campbell Morgan responds, aligns perfectly with James is telling us in James chapter 5, which emphasizes the importance of prayer in our lives. Prayer is the hotline, if you're going to call it that way. The hotline to the one who can provide for any need, no matter how difficult or impossible those things may seem. James was a man of action. Believe me, D.L. Moody, do you know about D.L. Moody? Do you know what was his profession? He was a shoemaker. And, and, and he called not only this letter, but also the Bible, that the Bible is, is actually covered with shoe leather because supposed to be active and walking when we read it. So James was a man of action, a diligent person, practical, but also he was a man of prayer. His friends actually have a nickname for him. His nickname was All Camels Need. All Camels Need. Because his knees became callous like a camel's because his habit to always kneeling, interceding for the saints. So he was a man of prayer. In our last lesson, for instance, we studied that he, James, advised those who were suffering those who were in sickness, those who were in sin, those who were in need of healing, he encouraged them. And when you go back to the beginning of the letter, you understand that he was always encouraging to pray, whatever the circumstances they might, they might were facing. So he tells us about the power of effective kneeling. The thread of prayer woven to the letter of James begins in chapter 1. When James gave advice to those whose faith was being tested and who needed help. In James 1.5 we read, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. He will, rebu he will not rebuke you for asking. So pray, ask. Then later in chapter 4, when he's talking about a situation, uh, uh, some conflicts in the church, in verse 1 and 2, he's saying, what is causing these quarrels and fights among you? Asking the church, the believers. Don't they come because of the evil desires at war within you? You want, but you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what you others have, but you can get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have because you want, or you want because you don't ask God for it. In other words, you don't pray, so you don't get it. So it, it's sad to think that how many of us could confess exactly that? We ask God, but we don't ask God. We want something, but we forget to pray about it. And we expect God to give us. We understand God can read your mind, but sometimes God wants you to exercise this wonderful thing about prayer. So you can ask God, even if it's a small thing. Because God cares. Because all prayers are a small thing for a big God that we have. So over and over in the scripture, as we have been seeing in our study in James, we see that God wants us to ask because he wants us to give. He wants to give. He wants us to have something. The theme of today's passage is 
prayer is that no matter what you ask God, he wants to give you certain things for certain situations. In other words, whatever is happening in your life, whatever your circumstances might be, in your life and the ones that you love, you should be praying about it. The central idea of this sermon is this. In life's ups and downs, the right response is to turn to God in prayer. In life's ups and downs, the right response is to turn to God in prayer. Regardless of the situation, my friend, brothers and sisters, prayer should be the first response to God. So no request is too small for God. Prayers will always be small people making a small request to a big God. Prayer will be small people making a small request to a big, big God. So let's take a look at this passage in James chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 13 all the way to verse 20. Believe me, this is one of the most challenging passages so far. So be ready about what the Lord has for us. In here, we see how James brings before us four practical areas where prayer is essential. Four areas where he expects us to pray. So James chapter 5, verse 13. Here, we see that James is using a series of questions, actually. Followed by a command. And that's the way that he is calling us to pray. He is asking us to pray, to worship in four specific situations. When we are in sad times or in glad times. When we are in sick times or in dark times. Those are the four situations. We're going to see each one of them. First one, pray in sad times. Pray when you're suffering. In verse 13, the, ver the very first part of verse 13, James is saying, Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. The Greek word for suffering here is actually an interesting word. It means suffering ill. It's, it's broader than that. It's more than the physical suffering. It's actually a a mental and emotional suffering, an anguish as well. So for those who are in this crucible of pain, James, his counsel is to respond to God in prayer. Not with complaints that we read in verse 9. Not with swearing that we read in verse 12 in the last chapter. But with continual prayer. The first response when we are suffering is to pray. Remember that James was writing to Jewish Christians. Yes, these Jews who were scattered all over the Roman world at that time, they were adopting the new faith in Christ, but they were rejected by their own families, their own friends, but also the government was after them. So they were suffering. He, they understood exactly what suffering was all about. So in the midst of their suffering, James is encouraging them. He's encouraging them to turn to God in prayer. So these serve as a reminder to you and me that God is always present. No matter the circumstances, no matter the difficult moments that you're facing. And in any situation, we can rely on God. We can trust in his strength. And we can... Be comforted by him through his spirit so he can lead us through the suffering. Praying during times of sadness or difficulty allow us to connect with him in a very powerful way. In the previous chapter, we saw the example of Job. Remember, it was through the suffering that he went through that he get to know God. In a different way. Even though he was a person. A just person. The way that God was talking about him. There was no one like him. When you go all the way to verse 42. The, almost the last chapter. 
chapter 42, you can see, I think I knew you by hearing about you, but now I know you. Now I have been experienced a relationship with you through this suffering. So suffering has a special way. In times of sadness, in times of suffering, it's easier for us to turn to God. Do you know that? Those are the moments that we, we ask God for his intervention. Those are the moments that when a, a situation happens in the country, in the nation, we see more people coming the next following Sunday to church or something. Moments like that make us aware. It was C.S. Lewis, the one who said that pain is what God uses to call our attention. Is his megaphone for a sleepy world? Well, that might be a megaphone for the sleepy Christian as well. Furthermore, James' exhortation to pray in times of trouble is still relevant for believers today. We all face various situations, challenges, trials, whether that can be personal struggles or family struggles or financial difficulties or health issues. As followers of Christ, we can take comfort in the fact that God cares. God cares about our suffering, and he's always ready to listen. The problem is this. Believe me, God always, always answers your prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. Most of the time he says, just wait. And that's the one that we have more problems to accept, don't you think? But God always answers our prayer. Prayer doesn't express faith in God to deliver us from trials. Prayer helps us to go through those trials, and God is taking us there. So instead of complaining, instead of grumbling and getting bitter or lashing out to others, we should pray about it. So in all circumstances, the good and the bad, the right response to, is to turn to God in prayer. This is a powerful reminder for us today. So we pray when we are in sad times. Number two, we pray when we are in glad times. And that's what the second part of verse 13 is telling us. Are, you, are any of you happy? You should sing praises. This verse is teaching us that praise is another way of prayer. It's another way to express, to talk, to communicate with God. Which we express our gratitude and worship to the one who is in control. For everything that he has done for us. So based on James' command to consider trials a pure joy, again, this verse is reminding us that rejoicing is a choice, it's not an emotion. You don't be glad, you are not happy just because you feel you're happy. You choose to be happy. And that is hard. James seems to imply that that we should expect to encounter both sadness and gladness, and perhaps to some members of the congregation, they may be experiencing both. So the Greek word for praise, saltleto, is where we got the word psalms, originally mean to play on a string instrument. I was looking at my brother Rigo playing that beautiful guitar, and imagine that your heart is like a, like a guitar. And the Holy Spirit is just plucking those strings. And what produces when he's doing that is certain joy that expresses in a praise to the Lord. This is what James has in mind here. Praying during times of joy and thanksgiving allow us to, to strengthen our relationship with God and to maintain that heart of gratitude. It helps to recognize that and appreciate God's presence, God's provision, and God's blessings upon our lives. But we need to be intentional in our prayer during glad times. Because even when we are sad, it's, it's easier to come to God and express to him how we feel. When we are glad, most of the time, not all the time, we forget to thank God for the moments. 
is the moments when we think we are so excited that sometimes we forget that the one who is causing the joy in our lives is the one who needs to hear that from us. In the midst of our busy, busy lives, it can be easy to forget, to overlook the blessing that God has been bestowing upon daily. So when we get a raise of a promotion, thank God. Rejoice, but thank God for that. When we make the last payment on your car, thank God. Rejoice, but thank God as well. When you get the schedule for your school, the one that you wanted, thank God. You're happy, but now thank God. So when the family with a barking dog move out the neighborhood where you live, thank God. You're happy, but thank God for that. Or a child made a new friend or your dental exam revealed that no more cavities. Thank God for those things. Those small things are important to consider. And we need to thank God for those moments. So whatever we are cheerful and in good spirits, we ought to give thanks to the Lord. Singing psalms of praise. By doing that, we can grow in a relationship with him. Because that will foster a spirit of gratitude. So in all circumstances, the good and the bad, the right response is to turn to God in prayer. So we ought to pray when we are sad. We ought to pray when we are glad. We ought to pray when we are sick. And that takes us to verse 14. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Verse 16, the first portion. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is a great deal of misunderstanding result from these verses. Some people, some believers teach from this passage that James is talking about the full physical health is always one prayer away. Others have found that this passage is a justification for the extreme unction. A, practical, a practice that began in the 8th century to pray for those who are dying. Still others have tried to relate the process outlined by James, the mortar practice of invoking God to pray over someone and using medicine anointed with oil. In other words, prayer plus a physician. But let me tell you something. Even though, yes, James might include the physical sickness, the context of this verse is telling us that he is referring to something else. Do you remember to whom he's writing? He's writing to believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. In this context, James is referring, using the word sick, the word asthene, as not necessarily physical illness, but as the, to be weak. Although this is used in the gospel to refer physical illness, in the book of Acts and the letters of Paul, we read that this refers, this verse, to the weak faith or the weak conscience of some believers. James used another Greek to talk about sick in verse 15. That's kamnonta. Translated sick as well, which means to be weary, to be tired. This is the emphasis in the New Testament about this word, to be weary. So James, while specifically mentioning physical sickness, can also be applied to those who are weary, those who are weak morally and spiritually due to sufferings of life. That's exactly how these believers, these Jewish Christians in the first century we're feeling, they're feeling demoralized. And this broader interpretation, this passage encouraged the believers to seek prayer and support from their faith community, for those leaders in the church who can come and encourage us. 
And they physically can use oil. Oil has two meanings. It represents the Holy Spirit. It's a way probably that says, you know what? We wish that the Holy Spirit can intervene in your life. But also oil, not the oil that you might think, but in this time, oil can also was suiting the, the wound. It, it helped. So it was anointment. It was, remember the good Samaritan that he poured wine and oil into the wound? So in some ways, he's referring to those things. Physical, but at the same time, that smell and that soothing of the woodness bring gladness to the heart and courage. So the early church were instructed in 1 Thessalonians 5 to encourage the timid, to help the weak. And that's the word that I'm telling you here. So James says that the elders should pray over him and anointing him with oil. And this is very significant because this is not a ceremonial anointing like it was for the kings. It was more like a rubbing with oil as a mundane, mundane medicine in some ways. This, therefore, James is not suggesting here the first one, but the second one. So remember the women who pour oil Perfume on Jesus? Or the host who's supposed to put oil on the head of the guest? Or a person who was fasting that should not be sad or ungroomed, but should put oil so he can wash his face so he can look better? So James is talking about don't, don't feel weak. Help the weak. Help the weary. Refresh them, encourage them, uplift them by the elders who rubbed oil on the heads of the afflicted and pray for them. So in verse 15, we see these specific results from the elders' prayer and anointing offered to those. The first one is restoration. The second one is raising up. And the third one is forgiveness. For the fallen, discouraged, and distressed, where believer, restoration is assured. The elders will pray over them, and in faith will make the sick person, the weak person, feel well. They will restore him. The restoration is spiritual, not physical. It's further clarified in the assurance. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And believe me, many physical illness the Christian were experiencing and experience today uh, are as a result or something that was committed. But not all the sickness is actually a result of sin in the life of the believer. One of the things that you need to understand is, as Christians, we are not immune to the problems of this world. We get sick, we die, we have accidents. I mean, we are like any other human being. The only difference is we got hope. We got the hope that God will take care of us in the midst of all those situations. So, this practice about confessing one another our sins was encouraged as we ask and give forgiveness, and that brings healing into our hearts. So in conclusion, the goal to prayer that we see here in verse 14 to 16 can be extended to those who are struggling physically, but also to those who are struggling morally and spiritually and in the midst of suffering. So, but in all circumstances, good or bad, the right response is to turn to God in prayer. So we need to pray when it's sad times, when there are glad times, in sick times. And lastly, we need to pray when there are dark times. In James 5.16, the second portion, James says this, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he used a perfect illustration of a righteous person. He mentioned about Elijah, the prophet. He says, Elijah was as human as we are. Some other translation of the Bible says, Elijah put his pants the way that we put our pants, one leg after the other one. <laughs> so Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. James is telling us here 
that the effectiveness of a prayer when it's offered by a righteous person is powerful. But who is this righteous person? Just by mentioning Elijah here, a man like us. James is telling us that a righteous person is not someone who is perfect or who has no sin, but someone who is simply walking with God, looking to praise God, to obey God. So whoever is willing to please God and walking with him, those prayers are powerful. He uses the example of Elijah, an ordinary person like us. He had the same emotions and weaknesses, vulnerabilities, and the strength that we have. Today was praying with power, and the very next moment he was depressed. You know, he was calling fire from heaven, and the very next morning he was running away because the king and the queen Jezebel, Jezebel was after him. So, with all the emotional baggage that he had, he was a man who believed in God and trust in God. And his prayers were powerful. So this message serves to you and me. It has to empower us. It inspires us to believe that we need to remain faithful. Following the Lord. Asking for his provision. But at the same time, asking him for his wisdom. So we can intercede for others the way that he asks us. Then we got to the last two verses. Very difficult verses to interpret. But let me, let me try to explain to you. Verse 19 and 20 is telling us the final exhortation that James is doing to his readers. James is full of compassion and he's asking them to do the following. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone, this is a hypothetical situation. It's not like somebody was doing this, but... Hypothetical speaking, he says, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. A lot to say about these verses. So James is not talking about leading unbelievers to salvation, even though it seems like Bringing somebody from death might make us believe that this is an evangelistic effort, but it's not. Actually, it's a restoring effort that Christians are supposed to do with other Christians who are wandering away. The phrase wanders away comes from the Greek planao. <laughs> we got the English word and the Spanish word planet, planeta, which means that they are in one place and later they are farther away, wandering around in the space, unlike the stars who are always in the same position. So those are believers who are drifting away from the truth. So when these believers choose to wander, they have abandoned the truth of God. They have been going after the lies of Satan. And they need to be conscious that there will be consequences for the spiritual departure. But even if more consequences are not visible at that moment, eventually they will experience that. But these believers are in the mind of James. Because those healthy believers who are receiving this letter are encouraged to be mindful and thinking and praying for those people. But at the same time, in those dark moments, they need to pray for ways to bring this person back to a fellowship with God. When we say that they, they're departing from the truth, it means two things. These people came wander away doctrinally. Now they don't believe. They believe in a different theology. Or they can wander away practically. Practically, in other ways, they became professors of truth, but not practitioners of truth. They think they're believers. They say they're believers, but their fruits are showing that they are not. So in either case, our response as healthy believers should be the same. We should care for them. We should pray for them. We never have to ignore them. If we can, as much as we can, try to talk to them to come back 
even when they don't want to listen. They might say, I don't want to know anything about the church. I don't want to know anything about the Bible. I don't want to know anything about God. Just leave me alone. You can, in some ways, don't speak to these people about God, but you can continue talking to God about these people. And that's what we need to be doing. And waiting for the moment when God softened the heart and that person is ready to come back. If we succeed in that rescue operation through patience and humility and gentleness and perseverance, James assures us that we will have restored this person to the right path. Then he describes two results of that. One, they will be saved from death. James has this idea, it's a figurative term about death, it's a lifestyle characterized by death rather than physical death. A death-like existence of loneliness, bitterness, anguish, and guilt. Unless this person is not a believer, then we can talk about the death, the spiritual death, the second death, when you share the gospel with somebody and for the first time the person trusts in Christ. But whoever, we have also seen that some unrepentant sins can be lead to sickness. That's what James is saying here. That maybe, not all sickness are produced by sins, but some of them. At the end of the day, remember that we are all sinners by the original sin committed by Adam and Eve when they rejected, when they in some ways revealed to God. But also we are guilty of the sins that we choose to practice in our lives. But also their multitude of sins can be covered. When someone is brought back into the fold through the confession and repentance, Christ's forgiveness covers their formerly lost sheep's sins completely as if they were covered by a veil. So he will not remember their sins no more. One of my professors at Dallas Seminary, Dr. Howard Hendricks, tells us the story of a young man. After a strain far out from the Lord, he was finally brought back into a relationship with God. Dr. Hendricks talked to him and he said, okay, tell me, how, how was it? How was it just to be a believer and then wander away and then tell me, explain to me to what this young man answered. It seemed like I was being pulled farther and farther out to the sea into a deep water. And all my friends were standing on the shoreline hurling accusations at me about justice and condemnation and sin. Then he added, but there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and he wouldn't let me go. I fought him and, and he withstood my fighting. He grabbed me, grasped me, put me a life jacket around me and managed to pull me to shore. By the grace of God, he was the single reason I was restored. The man refused to let me go. How much do you pray for your son who is not a believer? How much do you pray for your parents who are not believers? For your friends who are not believers? Sometimes you say, well, I'm just, I'm just tired. I pray six times, seven times. One of the interesting things about Elijah is when he was praying about rain. We don't read it here, but we can go back to 1 Kings and we can read it. It's when he started praying for rain. It took a little while. He got a servant. And he was telling the servant, he prayed the first time and said, sent to his servant, go and look outside to see if, if there is rain. So the servant came back and says, hmm, nope, there is nothing in the sky. And then he prayed again, and he sent it again. He said, no, no, no clouds in the sky. And he did it seven times. At some point, I don't know at what time you gave, give up, but the servant probably said, dude. I mean, I'm saying, I don't, I don't, I don't think he said dude, but dude, prophet, <laughs> there's nothing, man. Let's go eat lunch. I'm hungry. So in the seventh time, he, went, he was sent again, uh, again, and he saw the sky. He saw a little. He said, there is a little cloud like the size of the hand of man. So go and tell King Ahab that there will be rain. You know, 
the encouragement that we receive from this passage is for those who we know, either if they are believers or they are unbelievers or professing believers, we need to continue praying for them. Don't get tired. Don't get weary. In his time, in the Lord, will open those hearts. And you might be the one who put the large savior into that person's life. Because you can become the instrument of God to bring a wayward Christian to come back. In conclusion of this series, the book of James provides to all of us with valuable lessons. In sad times, we need to pray. When we face suffering, difficulties, circumstances, prayer serves as a lifetime connecting us with God and allowing us to draw strength from his presence and promises. Number two, in glad times, we need to pray. During those moments of joy and thanksgiving, prayer is the form of praise that allows us to express our gratitude to God for his blessing and maintain his a heart of thankfulness before him. In sick times, pray. In times of physical, emotional, or spiritual illness, prayer plays a vital role in our healing and restoration. And in dark times, when there seems to me no way, pray, because God will make a way. So these four situations highlight the central role of prayer. But we don't have because we don't ask. So we need to change that mentality today. And I will ask you, let's pray. Let's finish this series. Let's finish this message by praying. I will ask you that you take the best position that you can find. If you want to be seated, that's fine. You want to be standing, please do it. If you want to be kneeling in your space, please do it. You want to come to the altar now that we have these new steps? That's the reason why we designed this. Not for us to come down and up. It's for you to come and kneel before this altar. But let's pray. Let's do that. It's time that we believe in prayer. And I know that we believe in prayer. I know that you believe in prayer. But it's time for you to exercise the power of prayer. Whatever the circumstances you're going through, pray. You're happy? Pray, singing to the Lord. You're sad? Pray. You're sick? Pray. If you are in a very dark moment, pray. I will ask our elders to come here. I'm just improvising, guys. Come here. Come into the front. We want to pray for you. We really would like to pray for you. If this is a moment that you feel like, you know what, I, I need an intervention. I need somebody to lay their hands upon me because this is so heavy for me to carry. We would like to pray for you. This is nothing magical. I'm so glad that we got more than two elders so nobody can take the credit. Because ultimately, it's God the one who brings the healing. But he used us as an instrument, as believers in Christ, to pray for one another. It doesn't mean that the person who is sick is going to be healed just by the prayer. That is up to the Lord. If the Lord wants to be glorified by your healing, so be it. But if the Lord wants to be glorified by you being sick, so be it. For more than five days, my wife has been in bed. We don't know what she has. She has a very difficult, difficult infection. Sinus infection, headache. I have been praying. I have been anointing him with oils. And she still feels sick. I'm just leaving it up to the Lord. So that means that if you want to be healed, you feel free not to come to me. But you need to come to them. <laughs> but I'm telling you, at the end of the day, it's up to the Lord, the one who provides what we need. But we want you to pray. We, we, you notice that we are having a prayer moment in every service in our church. We do it with a purpose. Not just for you to fill out your cards and put them in that box. There's people praying for you every week. 
but we want you to come accustomed and to feel comfortable with others to pray for you as well. Yeah. Because we need each other. We need to pray for one another. Yeah. If you are sad, if you are happy, if you are sick, if you're in a dark place, pray. Join us in this moment of prayer. And I will encourage you to stand up, come forward, we're taking a position, and we are here. The worship team will come. They will lead us in a wonderful song about the Beatitudes. But in the meantime, we want to take this moment to pray for one another. OJ, can you come to the front as well? We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. With humble hearts, Father, we, we trust that you, Heavenly Father, are the one who has control of our lives. We want to present to you, your people, this congregation. Each one of them are going through a difficult time, a happy time, a sick time, or a dark time. And you know that. And you are reminding them, as we finish this series, this passage, that you are providing, Father, a way for them to come to you. Father, we're here to, to ask you, according to your will, that you can, you can do the healing that you want to do. That you can lift them up and restore those hearts who are broken. But we're here, Father, just to show you that we need you. We need you. We need you, Father. Please come and help us. Use your Holy Spirit to fill us and to show us the way. Father, as we try to intercede with our brothers and sisters, we recognize that the one who has the power is you, Father. So here we are. And we pray in your son. So we're here. And we encourage your congregation to come. If you brought your card, deposit on this one, on this box, deposit it. We're going to pray for you. If you want to pray for us, you're welcome to come and pray for us. Because we know that we need your prayers as well. But we encourage you, one of you, to take this moment, these few minutes to pray. To talk to God about your situation. And if you need our prayers, here we are. We would love to pray for you. Jesus told us in his gospel that to those who are seeking, they will find. To those who will ask, they will receive. To those who are knocking the door, the door will be open. So come, come to him. Ask him if you need him. Remember that he is here with you.
But God, we know that you are powerful, merciful. We know, Father, that you know everything. Before even the words are coming from our mouths, you heard each one of them. You made us. You rescued us. You are sustaining us. And even during those times that we are wandering away, like a good father, you're waiting for us to return to you. With open arms, you wait for us to come back. What a wonderful opportunity, Father, we have as a family of faith to know that, that we can pray for one another, that we can rely on you, that according to your will, you will help those who are sick or those who are sad or those who are in a dark time to restore their lives. But most importantly, Father, we want to worship you. And this is a way of prayer. Praying to your holiness. That we're here, Father, to serve you. I pray, Father, for this congregation. I pray for the leaders of the church. I pray for our elders, our deacons. I pray for each volunteer that we have. Because each one of them, Father, are receiving the call to serve you. And they are serving others as they are serving you. Guard them, protect them from the darts of the discouragement of the enemy and remind them that whatever they do, they're doing it for you. Everything belongs to you. We belong to you. And it's in you, Father, that we entrust ourselves. And we do this following the example of the one who gave himself up for the love for you and for us. It's in your song. Jesus Christ that we pray. And in his holy name, everybody says, Amen.